0: you have a Bible, you can turn in the Old Testament to Psalm 119, bring our prolonged season reading through Psalm 119 to a close as we come to the end in verses 169 through 176. Lend your attention, this is the very word of God. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation O oh Lord, and Your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise You, and let Your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek Your servant, for I do not forget Your commandments. Thus far the reading of God's word. Join me in prayers. We ask God's blessing upon His word read and preached this evening. Our Father, we I do give You thanks for Your word and for its excellencies and uh, for the eyes of uh, faith you are pleased to give, to, uh, to behold its excellencies, to behold its goodness, and for that portion of, of strength and life which you afford to us even now, uh, to walk in your ways. These are great gifts, Father, for with the psalmist we acknowledge that we are prone to wander and indeed uh, continue uh, to wander And so we magnify your great grace in retrieving the wandering and uh, keeping us on the way, following Christ. And this you do by your word. And so we ask that you would bless it unto us even now that we might receive it aright. That you might guard uh, my heart and my words. That you might um, uh, do through them, Lord, and through uh, your word. uh, What only you can do. um, Building us up uh, in faith and hope and love building us up in confidence towards the Lord Jesus Christ and love towards him. We delight that you are pleased to do these things, and we ask that you would do them. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. In the New Testament, you can turn to John chapter 10. Welcome to the last and the fifth of the blessings beside, which we've been considering in Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 36. I'll read God's word first, John 10, verses 27 through 30, and then we'll turn our attention once more to question 36. But first, this is the very word of God. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. In Westminster, Shorter Catechism 36 asks, What are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification. The benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and perseverance therein, to the end. <clears throat> What's the difference between confident and cocky? You know the difference, don't you? Well, you know there is a difference, at least. But we often get confused on this matter seems to me that we often see confidence in someone and interpret it as arrogance. Or we puff ourselves up and we convince that it's just confidence. Confident, not cocky. That's the effect of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The two postures might look superficially Similar, but their hearts are remarkably different. Indeed, worlds apart. We're confident that the saints of God will endure their earthly race. We're confident that those who belong to Christ will finish their course and be welcomed into eternal glory. But we're not cocky. As if we possessed this strength in and of ourselves to finish. Or as if we were already now beyond all danger and threat. You heard it in Jesus' words. I know my sheep. They know my voice. And they follow me. It is a doctrine not of eternal security... It is that, but it's not called that. It's the doctrine of perseverance. A confidence that God's people indeed will endure. Not because of any latent or native capacity to endure. Natural reserve of strength to endure. But because we belong to Jesus Christ, and he has promised to see us safely home. Let's consider this fifth blessing, the perseverance in grace unto the end. And we'll structure our consideration along the exact same lines of Westminster Confession of Faith 17, which is the chapter treating of the perseverance of the saints. First, the certainty of perseverance. Second, the grounds of perseverance. And third, two clarifications on the doctrine of perseverance. So first, the certainty of perseverance. You can hear it plainly implied in the question. Those who have been justified, adopted, and are being sanctified, preserved to the end, and are eternally saved. There you go. You are dismissed. Have a good week. That's the force of the question. It's plainly. It's this reality of perseverance plainly flows from... These great saving blessings, which Christ gives us by God's great grace. And that's effectively what Westminster Confession of Faith 17.1 opens with. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly Persevere therein unto the end and be eternally saved. And unless I'm sorely mistaken, that is plainly what Jesus says in our text. That is the plain thrust of his word. You could hang the whole doctrine on these three verses and it would be well attested because of the plainness of these verses. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, I give to them eternal life, and none shall snatch them from my hand. I don't know how he could be any plainer. I don't know how he could state the certainty of perseverance with any more simplicity or forcefulness. They're mine. I own them. I lead them. I lose none of them. There is no one greater than I. There is no one greater than my Father. I and my Father are one. They will persevere until the end. It is certain. Not one will fall away. Indeed, not one can fall away. Because for this very reason, Jesus came. To not lose any of those whom the Father had given him. That's a precious promise. Do you feel its preciousness? (laughs) Well, let me remind you, in case you don't feel its preciousness, let me make plain what the text also says. You're a sheep. So to be told that the certainty of you as a sheep, who has a number of predators, against whom you are helpless... To be assured as a sheep that your endurance, your safe endurance, your safe passage through a world of terror, does not rest in your sheeply strength or your sheeply body. But in the excellence, and sufficiency, and supremacy of the shepherd king, that is of great encouragement. The safety of the sheep is not found in the sheep, but in the promise and superiority of the shepherd. I just finished Watership Down. Have you read Watership Down? You should read Watership Down. (laughs) It's a lovely novel about the rabbits of Sandalford Warren. One of the rabbits sees a great day of trouble coming. So a group of these vulnerable creatures set off to find safety. How vulnerable these rabbits are. You feel it every page. Those with a thousand enemies, they're called. And they make their way from one form of danger to the next. They fled their home. They have no safe haven. What guarantee do they have of reaching a new home? Of reaching a place of safety? None! They're left to their own ingenuity, their own tricks, their own speed and cunning. Sure, they have brave Hazel, they have strong Bigwood, they have clever Blackberry, but they're rabbits! There are wolves and dogs and foxes and hawks! What hope do they have? If you can believe it, sheep are more vulnerable than rabbits! Rabbits are fast! That's sort of their curse. You'll have many enemies, and they'll eat you if they catch you. But first they'll have to catch you. Sheep are not fast, (laughs) nor are they clever. Our vulnerability is pressed upon us with this image that we are sheep. We're large, we're slow, we're dumb. If the safety and the preservation of the flock resided in any one of our number, we would be doomed, but it doesn't. It comes to us as a promise from the shepherd and it's demonstrated in his willingness to give his own life to ensure that the sheep reach their intended journey's end. The blessing that comes to us in this doctrine is that it properly orients our confidence towards the one in whom we ought to be confident the great shepherd king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it begins already to anticipate the question of why. Why do Christians endure to the end? Why do the sheep persevere until the end? So we can look at, second, the grounds, the specific grounds of our perseverance. Westminster Confession 17.2 opens, saying, This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will. That's how it opens. It starts with a negative. It wants to make sure that we know that the ultimate cause, the ultimate reason why any one of us endures is not to be found originally in us. It does not originate in us. Now make no mistake, our perseverance is not against our wills. In that the Lord makes us willing. Right? I know my sheep. They know me, they know my voice, and they follow me. There's a volitional element to that. But that doesn't mean that our perseverance is founded in our volition. It's not rooted in terms of its origin, its originating principle. That's what it says. It's not dependent Upon their own free will. As if the best hope that we could be afforded was the strongest faith that we could muster. If such was the case, who would stand? You could think of the great restorations of God's people. Some of the most em- eminent saints. Peter. David. If there hadn't been an external element that wasn't founded in their will. Ensuring that even when their will went astray, that was not the final story. Well, then they would not have endured. They would have been lost. Westminster confession wants to make sure it's not to be found in you. It's not founded in you. So if it's not founded in us, where is it found? Upon what is it founded? Well, first, it extends plainly from the nature of the salvation that we're supplied. let right? just consider the nature of these gifts. Consider what each of these gifts are in our justification, our adoption, our sanctification. What are those things? Well, we can actually go back even further because that's what Paul does in Romans 8. Those whom God predestined. It didn't even start with the application of redemption. The security blossomed with the Father's free choice in election. Which is what Westminster Confession of Faith 17.2 does say. The electing love of God, free, efficacious. That's the first layer of this great doctrine of perseverance. There's nothing more determinative than the will of God. There's nothing more basic than the will of God. There's nothing more foundational than the decree of God. So if God willed to elect specific individuals, not unto the possibility of salvation, but unto salvation, then the question is, well, what's going to stop God's will? What's going to thwart his decree? Nothing. And that's what Christ says. That's what he says. No one's going to snatch them out of the Father's hand. My will in this, the Father's will in this, it's one. The will of Christ as Christ. (laughs) It is one in this. I and the Father are one. So this foundation layer extends back to the eternal decree. But then it also shows up plainly as we've already said in the excellency and the sufficiency of our shepherd what did Christ do when he died did he purchase the potential for salvation did he die so that possibly some might be saved no you read the discourse in John 10 he lays down his life for whom For sheep, it's not a nebulous and faceless mass for which he lays down his life. There's an intimacy of knowledge between the shepherd and every single sheep he has purchased at the cost of his precious blood. So the question of perseverance there is, is Christ's blood shed in vain? Will he lose one for whom he has paid? The perfect price? Indeed, an all-sufficient price? Or, to frame it another way, has Christ failed in his office as the Christ, as the king who gives his life for his people. The resurrection and ascension proved that he did not fail he was successful in the discharge of his calling. Certainty of preservation is found in the electing love of God. In the all-sufficiency of the mediator. Jesus Christ in discharging the very thing God sent him to do. But we also feel it coming to pass as we consider these blessings of justification. Adoption, sanctification. If a verdict has been passed down from the high court of God, the king has pronounced righteous, how can that verdict be reversed? How can he then pronounce condemned when he is simply pronounced justified? Paul's plain, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the verdict. That's God's pronouncement upon those who belong to the Son. How can such a verdict be reversed? Especially when it's rooted in the obedience and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, credited unto us. If the title and the right to the family of God, Has been extended unto us in the Lord Jesus Christ. By none other than the Father himself. If God calls a thing by its name. Who can call it something else? And John is plain: What manner of love is this? That we should be called children of God. And so we are. That is what God calls us. Who shall reverse such a name? If the new creation has dawned in our hearts, in our regeneration, for that is what regeneration is. That is what the new birth is. It is the dawn of new creation. Who shall unmake what God has made? Peter's plain. You've been born anew. Not by a perishable seed, but by an imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. How can that which is living and abiding die and fade? So then what? Well, Peter tells us plainly. As newborn babes desire the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up into salvation. God's promised to preserve His own. And He's given us the very means by which He is pleased to do it. Peter says, let us cast off all envy, wickedness, deceit, hypocrisy. And let us attend to the pure spiritual milk of the Word. For this is who you are as those born from above the call in the light of this precious precious doctrine is press on sure of the great shepherd and sure of his provision for your earthly journey when the fellowship of the ring departed Lothlorien the lovely lady of the wood bade them farewell she gave them gifts They all got their own unique, choice, precious gift. But perhaps the most useful, arguably, was the gift she gave to the whole company. Lembus bread. That elfish substance which was delicious and simple and sufficient to nourish a full-grown man for a day of rigorous journeying and battle. For any of the fellowship to have gone hungry as they possessed such a magnificent portion would have been absurd. But mark how easy it is for us to forget, to attend to the portion that we've been given as we continue to make our journey unto the celestial city. It's easy to grow negligent, isn't it? Mark how easy it is in the heart to slip from the appropriate confidence that we have in our God, in our shepherd, and his purposes to that unseemly cockiness (laughs) that experiences any bit of success and thinks us untouchable. (laughs) Any bit of growth and assumes, well, I've got it figured it out now. The posture of confidence is tenuous tentative because the flesh is real so we can close by making two clarifications on this doctrine of perseverance what's the first major objection that comes to mind when we say that all those who belong to christ will persevere unto the end well don't many sheep perish don't many sheep wander into their own destruction Doesn't our own experience bear this out? Doesn't Scripture bear this out? Some have made shipwreck of the faith. This or that person shows evidence of faith for a while and then falls away, or worse, turns hostile to Christ and His church. The very one He loved. The very people He served. Aren't those sheep lost? What does Jesus say? He says plainly, no sheep will be lost. He says it plainly, no sheep will be lost. So then what are we to conclude from those who wander? We're to conclude what the Apostle John plainly tells us. They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained with us. It's not a coincidence that John exhorts his church in the face of what was very clearly a demoralizing and terrible split. He exhorts his church to remain, to abide, to stay. For Christ is where the blessing is. Christ is where the confidence is. Christ is where the security is. And those who flee the security are not secure. are lost. You see this treated from another angle in the parable of the soils. Jesus talks about four different types of soil as the Word is sown on the road, among rocks, among thorns, and in good soil. What's striking about the seed that's sown among the rocks, the seed that's sown among the thorns, is that there's growth. The seed actually sprouts and grows. And to the human experience, that looks like faith. That looks like enduring with the fellowship for a while. And it's real. You consider the power that even... Temporary faith possesses. Isn't this what our Lord teaches as well? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. They'll protest. Didn't we do incredible works in your name? Temporary faith can be powerful. Perhaps you've known people. Sort of a a reform of life. Some sort of Profound experience seems to reorient them for a season. And then they shed the Christianity. Temporal faith is profound, but it's not eternal. It's not a product of heaven. The evidence of heaven's workmanship is you'll persevere. You'll endure until the end. This doctrine says nothing about the security of the wheat Sorry, the security of the tares. The wheat are secure. (laughs) There have always been religious hypocrites. There's always been tares among wheat. Sometimes the true nature of the tares is revealed in this life. Sometimes it's awaiting the next. But the fact that there are tares says nothing about the security of the wheat. The fact that there are hypocrites says nothing about the security of the true children. The sincere worshipers. The second objection is that don't we fall into times of sin? Don't we stumble along the way? Has anyone's experience been just one glorious trajectory onward unto glory? I'm guessing not. (laughs) The doctrine of perseverance unto the end does not mean that we're invulnerable to seasons of falling away in some measure. You hear that with the specific language of Westminster Confession 17.1. Those accepted by the Father and the Beloved will not totally and finally fall away. Which gives a head nod to our very real experience of partial and temporary Falling away. For that's what every sin is, isn't it? Isn't every sin an act of unfaithfulness? A motion in the wrong direction towards the flesh, towards death, away from Christ? Has anyone not experienced that? (laughs) But you've been restored. But I trust you've also felt the ache of those ventures down the path of death. That's what section 3 in chapter 3 goes on to detail. The elect can fall into grievous sins with dreadful consequences. Yet another warning against cocky. Another warning against presumptuousness. We're like Frodo. The thing we carry about is dangerous. And it will destroy us if it has its own way. We carry about the seeds of our own destruction, just like Frodo in the ring. And that threat isn't going to be removed until all things are made new. And we put off this body of death. Consider Peter. The horrors of conscience that he would have experienced. The dark nights which must have followed upon his threefold denial of Christ. The phrase that Luke uses, I believe it's Luke uses in his gospel, is that after the rooster crowed, Peter went out and wept bitterly. That's a pungent phrase. He wept bitterly. The consequences of his sin were real. It was a grievous sin With heart-wrenching ached. I don't know if you've experienced bitter weeping before. A broken heart that seems as if the flow of tears that's been unleashed will never stop. You cry yourself to sleep. You wake up aching because your body has no more tears left to shed. Devastating circumstances seem inescapable. Peter had The extra layer in that he had done it to himself. He had denied Christ. His was the betrayal. And not only that, how did it happen? He had been so sure of himself. He denied the possibility of denial with vehemence. The Lord told him, and he rejected the Lord's gracious warning about his vulnerability, about his weakness. Not I. Perseverance is founded in me. It's not. It's founded in him, the one who's warning us about our continued vulnerability. And the posture to avail ourselves of that strength is partly in heeding that warning. And isn't that what happened on the night he was betrayed? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. He did it. And then he fell. Watch and pray. Give thanks that the certainty of our standing does not rest. In the perfection of the execution of watch and pray. But watch and pray. And rejoice that our shepherd can see the true nature of our journey clear enough to give us that warning. And to equip us to hear it rightly. Peter stumbled. We stumble. The consequences of stumbling are real. The net effect is that we're humbled. Humbled by what we ourselves are capable of. Humbled by the plain testimony that we sing in the blessed hymn. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here, here, my heart, here. You have to take it. You have to seal it. The it rests on me, I know where I end. Seal it for thy courts above. Weep at what we possess in terms of our corruption. Weep for the danger that we carry about like Frodo's ring, which is not something other than ourselves. And then rejoice at the shepherd who has laid down his life for his sheep, who has promised that he knows his own, Whose promise promised to continue to provide them with his voice so that we can follow him with confidence that none will be lost. Let's pray. Mm. Sanctify your word unto us, O Lord. Press its truth upon our hearts. Provide us with what we need, as you have promised to do. For the weak, Father, draw near and point to the strength of Christ. For the wandering, Father, chasten, retrieve, and restore to the way. Give us all hearts marked by the meekness and the humility, which ought to be our portion when we consider what we know our hearts to be capable of left to ourselves that we might encourage one another on in the way looking unto christ who will lead us home we pray this in his name amen, amen.